And when you have a bullpen that's not structured that way, you get the Texas Rangers. And what did the Blue Jays do in that case? They beat the crap up. Like, okay, you guys have been watching this team, but the two of the three best players aren't here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Five big trade ideas that won't happen in parentheses, but should. And they're terrible trades. <laughs> and welcome to episode number 214 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we remind you, you can't lose a game that you don't play. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by his awesomeness, Joshua Housem. How are you doing, Josh? I like that title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. You? No, no, I'm all right. No hurtful things to be said here, except about the, our, our erstwhile Blue Jays. Uh, yeah, it's been rough. We're going to go into the roughness, as it were. Uh, they A one-run lead isn't really a lead at all with the, the Blue Jays at the moment. Uh, we're probably going to talk about that, having lost, I believe, five of six since we last chatted. Um, Ryan Baraki and Romano, not, not up to snuff either, specifically. Um, Stripling... Did have a rough start, but then uh, seems to have righted the ship, although not going as deep into games as one might hope. The lineup, somewhere in all that uh, desperation, Charlie Montoya actually, I think, came up with a lineup that you or I might have written. Um, the trade wins. What 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 hath the winds blown our way or away from us? We shall see very soon because the deadline is coming up. Uh, Alejandro Kirk is back, not for the reasons maybe we wanted, um, because Jansen is out, and Thomas Hatch is up and doing things, uh, hopefully enough things, once Alec Manoa returns that we will want him around. We have your questions, and we have a do-over for MLB Network, who just put a bunch of crap on the screen and, and made Ron Darling sit through it with Billy Ripken. Um, so we shall begin with this this team and its inability to get its feet under it. Holy moly. Yeah. Uh, it's not what you want, <laughs> especially because they came out like on fire. Uh, you know, they just destroyed the Rangers in that series. And it's like, okay, this is you know they they well, I mean, they only played you know, the three games, obviously, and two of them were in the short doubleheader. But you know, they outscored them twenty-five to two, and the Red Sox were a little scuffling. It was okay. This is good. It's the right time for everything. And then they got they lost two both games against the Red Sox. There was a rain out. And then they got shut out in the first game against the Mets. It's like, what the heck happened here? Yeah, and then when they have had a lead, uh, it has not stuck around for the requisite nine inning. I mean, if the Jays played seven inning games all the time, I think that we'd have a contender. Although they've blown a lot of leads in the seventh. But yes, I mean, yeah, the last two games. So the, the first three games, they just, well, they were bad. You know, they got blown out by the Red Sox in the first one. And then... The second one, they were in it late, and then Romano gave up two bombs to put them from one down to three down, and then they got shut out by the Mets. But the last two, ugh, the Mets one, um, you know, they were, they were, they scored three to go up three to one, and it's just like they put up an inning that there was a weird managerial decision by the Mets to leave Rich Hill into bat with two runners on. <laughs> And then he proceeded to put the first three runners on the next inning and then came out of the game. You love so they to see three to, Yeah, exactly. Um, so they, the Jays scored three and then immediately gave up four. And, you know, they, they 
mounted a little charge late and as so often happens with this offense late in games, which we'll get to back to them in a second, but you know, they didn't come back and then they blew it again against the Red Sox. And it's just like, how many times can the same song play before we just start banging on the jukebox? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, there's been one game in there, and and again, that was a game where they scored more than nine runs. Not I, I, not to you know pound on my my joke uh, secret to winning the World Series, but l- literally, it feels like this team has to score in, in near the double digits or or higher to relax. Like there, a three run lead late does not feel relaxing, and it, and this is with the addition of Richards and Simber and. Uh, you know the the presence of Sacedo. You know we're not we're not looking at, oh, and Barucki and in theory Jordan Romano. Um, who is the biggest worry among all of those guys that that you know we're they're still not getting twenty seven outs before bad things happen. Yeah, so Romano and, and Barucki really especially are worrisome because their stuff is worse. So Barucki came back and he looked good in that first outing against was it Baltimore before the all-star break, but he's not throwing as hard. Before he went down, he was 97, 98 with that two-seamer, and now he's topping at 95 and a half, and that's still hard, but it's not, I can get away with stuff hard. And the last couple times out, he's thrown these cement mixer sliders up there that are fine when they're good, but when they're a little slower, they're a little worse, and Alonzo has made him pay with home runs twice, and the command hasn't been there. He just hasn't looked right. And then Jordan Romano has altered his delivery and, and they've caught runners stealing, but that means there's still runners on when Jordan Romano is out there. And he's also keeps giving up bombs. Um, well, yeah, that's a problem. I, and that might be a spin problem. Well, it is. Yeah, for sure. Because he's, you know, he's throwing it last year when he was dominant, he threw his slider 60% of the time. Before the crackdown on stuff, he was throwing it like 45% of the time. Now it's down in the low 30s because it's just not there anymore. Yeah, you know, it's not – he's lost all the spin on the slider since they started cracking down on it. And, you know, not having your big secondary pitch, he helps he throws 100 but – or 99, but you still have to have something else to put in hitters' heads and he just hasn't had it. And And this goes back to – Major League Baseball and the tendency for them to change things like the ball and the enforcement of the rules on the fly when there is a perception that it would be bad to do nothing. Um, But I mean, just like we saw uh, now his name escapes me. I had it yesterday. Uh, The infielder all of a sudden that, that the Jays had hitting a bunch of bombs. Sogard. Um, hitting a bunch of bombs because the ball was suited to just exactly what he was doing. And then suddenly the ball changes again. Um, now we've got the, the the stuff enforcement problem. And it's not a, a Blue Jay problem. I think it's a problem across the league that a, a player is trying to market himself and plan with what he believes is his ability to, you know, to perform it in a certain way. And then they change it in like June. What What is the point? Yeah, it's kind of weird that they did that mid-season. Uh, I don't really know why. I mean, it was clearly a problem that they were going to address, and they were talking about it before the season, actually, about, you know, like we're going to maybe start using the camera to catch these guys. and you know. But they didn't actually really 
do anything. Now, that said, these people were cheating. And the the blind eye that they'd been turning forever was to the rosin and to the little bit of pine tar. But the spider tack stuff was just crazy with the effect that it was having on pitcher spin rates and the, the ability to dominate hitters. So I actually think it's the right move to do it. I just think it should have been done before the season. But obviously for Jordan Romano, it's not good. Yeah, I mean... It didn't. It hasn't hurt him physically yet, uh, in, in, that we could see. So that's good. Unlike uh, Tyler Glass, now who insists it hurt him. But still, I, I think we are kind of in the lurch here. Does Does Jordan Romano figure out how to exist with the slider he has? <laughs> well, he has to. I mean, yeah. But but I mean, <laughs> does no he choice. Figure, does he figure out how to dominate? I guess is 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 the question. You know, is is there a way that is to get back something? Um, in terms of effectiveness uh, without resorting to foreign substances. And not, not that we're saying he necessarily did, but all of the evidence points to the fact that he was using, you know, something to help yeah. him grip the baseball. Yeah, and we'll see, right? Uh, it's hard to make that kind of adjustment to your pitches mid-season, but he has to. And, you know, I guess we'll see how that goes. And, and this is, you know, I, well, I, I want to get to the offense in these late game situations as well, but, I, you know, this is why the trade stuff we're going to get to is going to be focused, I think, in that area. But uh, Next, we get to Ross Stripling. No, 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 no. I want to talk about the offense. It's not just the, it's no, not no, just I, the but, bullpen. But, but, but the no, offense no, is what... right after Ross Stripling. It's there on the list. Well, I meant in terms of these, these blown leads. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's because the Jays are awful offensively late in games relative to how they are normally. Uh, Isaac Bulletin, who used to write for – not BB Toronto, I don't think, but but he wrote for us when we were Blue Jays Plus. <clears throat> he put out something today that showed that other than 2020, the Blue Jays of 2021 are the worst team in baseball history relative to their normal offensive output in late and close situations. That's, the worst ever. That's amazingly awful. Yeah. Now, they're not the worst team overall is just relative to their normal performance because they're such a good offensive team. They turn into a pretty bad one in late and close, which makes them the worst ever relative. And, you know, James G has been talking about this for a while. It's really baffling how bad it is. And then part of the problem is the, the bottom of the lineup, especially can't hit fastballs from elite pitchers. And <laughs> when you can't hit elite fastballs rather, and then, you know, when you're, Going late in games, that's pretty much what everybody's got. Yeah, it just gets harder and harder as the game, and I mean velocity-wise, it gets harder and harder as the game goes on. That's that's how most bullpens are structured. And when you have a bullpen that's not structured that way, you get the Texas Rangers. And what do the Blue Jays do in that case? They beat the crap out of them. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they pump these mop-up relievers because they're the ones coming out there throwing 92, 93, because they're pitching in mop-up roles. Yeah. I don't know what the solution for that is, right? Well, I mean, yes, the solution is change your players. Yeah, and and I mean, that doesn't explain everything uh, because the top of the lineup still crushes hard fastballs. Like Vlad and, and Semyon are two of the best in baseball against fastballs at 95 miles an hour or harder. And, you know, I don't really understand it, but <clears throat> it's, a, it's a problem that has to fix itself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of those. Um, 
Uh, so I guess that you could say Ross Stripling fixed himself. He got shelled by the Mets? Boston. By Boston. He got just lit up like a Christmas tree. And it was like, oh, no. Is this the old Ross Stripling? Um, and then next turn around, five innings, very, very solid Ross Stripling again. Uh, I, I feel like the Blue Jays' inability to do anything against a team ahead of them in their own division is going to drive me to drink. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not what you want. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Stripling just should not face Boston, probably. That might be the solution because he's given up, what is it, 10, 16 runs in his three outings against them, and he has not pitched 10 innings yet. So... Yeah, That's I mean, not if, great. If, you, if you could restructure that to keep him against everybody else who he has been, you know, arguably quite excellent at facing since um, the beginning of or middle of May. Yeah, since he made those adjustments and, and they showed against the Mets, you know, he went five innings, gave up the one run, no walks, six strikeouts, five hits. It's a good outing. He was only taken out because the game situation made sense. Like they, they brought in Barucki because it was the top of the order, which went lefty, lefty, righty, lefty. And then Barucki just had his problems and the righty hit the two run home run against him. Uh, and we all heard the sound, sound, trombone sound and there we went. Um, so you're talking about this lineup that cannot score late. Um, at one point we would have made the argument that the lineup did not look like uh, it had been optimized. That George Springer who we always assumed, I think, would lead off for the Blue Jays, was batting uh, fifth at one point because he, you know, had, had missed so much time. Um, it was difficult to break up uh, Semyon, Bichette, and Guerrero because everything seemed to be firing on all cylinders. Then the Blue Jays ran into the rocky road, and finally Charlie Montoyo had his excuse to set the lineup. What, is this the way you would set the lineup, I guess, is my question? I think so. Uh, one of the reasons I really like Bichette hitting fourth is that Springer, normally, Vlad and Semyon are all really good on base guys. And Bo has extremely good bat-to-ball skills. Like, the guy somehow is a good hitter. I, I don't understand how he can possibly have the numbers that he has. I th I'm just going to pull up his actual batting average. He's hitting 296 despite going down 0-2 in over 20% of his at-bats. <clears throat> the answer, Josh, is extreme violence. <laughs> it is extreme violence, but also extreme bat-to-ball skills. And having that guy hitting behind the guys that keep getting on base allows these run-scoring opportunities. And I, th I think that it's the optimal spot for him in a major league lineup because he's got some pop and he's got this ability to drive the ball, but he doesn't take a lot of walks to get on base for the guys in front of him. Well, that were behind him. And you've upped the number of appearances that um... – Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets every game by bumping him up a couple spots. You know, as the as the season's gone on, you got him up to to your number two hitter, um, which obviously is absolutely optimal because he's your best hitter. And in theory, George Springer could be your second best hitter. Yeah, I mean, he should be. That's kind of what the Blue Jays expected when they picked up George Springer for one hundred and fifty million dollars that he'd be their best or second best hitter, and. Obviously, his early numbers are not quite living up to that billing, but he's coming around lately, and he's in the right spot, I think, in the batting order for him. It's where he's comfortable, and, you know, like, he's 
produced in the two games that he's been put there. In the first one, he went one for four, which is not great. But in the, in the one against the Red Sox, he was one for three with two walks. And then that's what you want out of your guy leading off. Yeah. So, uh, and then as we, we trickle down the lineup, um, we, we end up with, is Kevin Biggio ninth now as a, as a matter of course? He's been hitting eighth, actually. The catcher's been hitting ninth. Oh. Uh, yeah, and what's really should help this is when Dickerson comes back and they can stop playing Randall Kritchak every day. <laughs> so, because right now the bottom of the order is just atrocious. Kritchak is his his numbers since basically June have been a guy that should be in the minors, and Biggio for July has been exactly the same. He had that hot June after he came back from injury, but since then he's been nothing. Uh, Kirk is. Okay, obviously he's a, he's an option, and McGuire hasn't been awful, but it's, well, yeah, it, it, I think you made the point last podcast that McGuire has cratered. Uh, he has rather. Uh, he got two hits in his last game, so it's like you know, he's not in his McGuire of twenty twenty mode, but he's back <laughs> into the guy should be who should be a backup catcher mode. So the bottom of the order really needs some addressing, and Dickerson will be a part of that. But there's obviously more ways to to get to that. All right, so we just talked about the lineup is as good as it can get in its current composition, and now you are going to address how one might improve said lineup if if one could acquire a player or two. Do you think the Blue yeah. Jays are, are set to do so? So we're, this is a question we got in, but it seems fitting to say it now. This is from you and Ross, former host of this podcast, actually, but well, not in this current form, but he says, I have no question. I just like y'all to yell at people who want to sell because they're cowards and they suck and should know it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You are cowards. All of you are yeah. cowards. Yeah. Okay. There you go. You've been yelled at. Yeah. yeah. The, the Blue Jays absolutely should not be selling. I get the the worry. They're four and a half back as of the recording of this. They can't. They have. They're really struggling against all the teams that are ahead of them, which is a problem. But they're only four and a half back and they have a, you know, they're coming home to their actual home and they have the talent. Like if you just look, just take half of these games, a third of these games that they should have won and get one hit in a big spot here or make one play or make one pitch and the Jays are all of a sudden in a playoff spot, which is exactly where the Jays were in 2015. I'm not saying that that's 2015. They're not going to go on that kind of 130 win pace at the end of the year to win the division, but they do have the talent to fight. And I don't think you give up on that just so you can get pieces for a couple rentals. I I think that especially with where the franchise is in, in its, you know, for what an arc of competitiveness is worth, there is a ton of young controllable talent on this team. Whether you, uh, you know, keep pushing with Marcus Semyon or you let your foot off the gas um, by trying to trade him and get something for him, I think you're sending a really lousy message to all of the guys. And there's a lot of them who are going to be here next year doing exactly the same thing that they're they're trying to do this year, right? It, Bichette and Guerrero and Springer are not going anywhere. Um, I think they would rather try all 162 games this year and start again and, and maybe it works out rather than being like for the last month of the season oh well you know management just just had to save a dime here and try and get a prospect there 
but we're not we're not anywhere this season. It's a horrible message to send to your clubhouse. And could you imagine coming home to Toronto? It's like, okay, you guys have been watching this team, but the two of the three best players aren't here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> to get booed in your return. To the... <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah. cost the cost is so marginal in terms of of keeping um, the players that might go out as rentals. It, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Again, especially, yeah. Go ahead. Especially if you want to keep them, if you want to re-sign them, throwing a qualifier on them makes it a lot easier to get them because their market will be depressed. Yep. But I mean, so really, the Jays, what do they should be doing is adding. Well, yeah. I mean, you certainly don't. I don't think you want to do absolutely nothing. You want to grab some opportunity somewhere to go. Hey, we think that we're just only that far away. Yeah, and, and there are potentially some pieces in this market that are interesting. You know, today the rumor has been going around that the Jays checked in on Max Scherzer and look, Max Scherzer would be great. <laughs> Max but, Scherzer has a no trade specification. Well, no, no, he, he might be willing to come to Toronto apparently because he told the Yankees and Mets that he wouldn't even consider an offer and the Jays were not mentioned in that list. Amazing. Max Scherzer would only be worth doing Given the acquisition cost that likely comes there, probably if he's willing to tr to consider an extension with your team. I mean, look, it'd still be great to get Max Scherzer, but it's hard to give up elite pieces when you're four and a half games out of the second wild card spot and nine games out of the first one. But getting guys that are under control, like Joey Gallo, Jose Barrios, who's I don't love him, but he's good. If the Twins make him available, the like guys like that, these elite pieces these top of the line guys that will also be here next year so you can make the run this year but if it doesn't quite work out because you're far enough back then you still have them to go for it again i think that's where they should be going where they should be focusing yeah so it doesn't make sense to sell a rental and it doesn't make sense to buy a straight rental yeah unless you're talking about relievers right because guys like daniel hudson for example right well yeah but you're, you're not giving up a top five uh prospect for a reliever Right, and it actually makes more sense to play in the rental reliever market because you're not paying for extra control of a relief pitcher, which is never a good idea to begin <laughs> with. So, like, if you look at the cost of Adam Simber and Strickland, there was nothing, right? And that's the kind of thing they should be doing for, and paying even less because the guys will be rentals. So rental relievers and then controllable elite pieces. That would send a really good message to this team and maybe help them go on a bit of a run because they do have the talent for it. Yeah, the, the Blue Jays have the talent, the swagger, the run differential, and the inability to close out games. <laughs> yeah. They have it all. <laughs> um, all right, so we have mentioned it in passing, but we should officially acknowledge the return of Alejandro Captain Kirk. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like When you don't see him for a while... <laughs> When he comes back into a game, you're like, oh, right. I forgot he was sized that way. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, look, he's a, he's a bigger catcher in one sense, but he's also really short. And I completely forgot about how short he was. <clears throat> he is. He does not, as they say on the broadcast too many times, look like a baseball player. Um, but that's fine. He hits like a baseball player. Yeah, he does. And... I talked about the ability to hit pitches at 95 plus. He can do it. He can square up a good fastball. He, the numbers back it up and the eye test backs it up. 
his he has those bat to ball skills that I was talking about. And you know, he he failed to get the job done in a key spot against the Mets. He came up with the bases loaded and one out and popped up the first pitch. But I'm still far more confident in having him up at the plate than any of those other guys at the bottom because I don't think he's going to strike out in a key spot. Indeed. Um, the reason he is in that spot at the bottom of the lineup, of course, as we've alluded to, is that Danny Jansen pulled his hamstring, the same hamstring that he keeps pulling. Seems seems to be not a good thing to have happen over and over again. Not an automatic out because he heard it on a double. <laughs> <laughs> but he was out after the double. Like, not not in the game sense. As in, the, he's not coming back for a long time since. So... Uh, we will put the feature on hold again. Uh, the, his double also talk, took out two people named Danny on the same play. Uh, which might be the first time in baseball history something like that has ever, or that specific thing has ever happened. We have to get That would be a very baseball stat, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is, there's some guy at Elias who's, who would frantically type away for like a half hour and pop that one out. Um, <laughs> And then uh, Thomas Hatch. We've been waiting a long time for Thomas Hatch, and it seems like he arrived with a little fanfare. Yeah, well, especially because he arrived sort of in a, an emergency <laughs> role uh, because you know, the, there was a little mishap with Alec Manoa who slipped and fell in the dugout when he was pitching in that uh, – or he wasn't even pitching, but when they yeah. were playing that game that, that had all the rain. And he had to miss a start, so they put Hatch in there against Boston. It didn't go great, but – it was nice just to see him healthy and pitching because he's going to be a useful member of the team. Yeah. Um, and we will see going forward if he's, again, useful enough to keep everything intact. Uh, we are going to take a quick break and then we are going to come back with your questions. And then we are going to give the MLB Network the do-over it so richly deserves for... Uh, I feel like doing it for a video segment is not the best use of the podcast resources, but we will try and make it clear anyway. We'll be right back. And we have returned back and better than ever. Uh, that's probably not true. But uh, we do have a big stack of questions as the trade deadline looms. So here we're going to ask them or answer them like so. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Uh, this one came in a while ago. Brian Donnelly at Brian Donnelly 8 asked us, with what Semyon has done this year, do you think there's any chance of signing him long-term? Or is he too expensive, too much commitment relative to the timeline of Groshans Martin in the infield? Uh, we have counted our prospects well before they're hatching, but Josh, what do you think? Well, I agree with what you just said. Um, Groshans is actually having a nice year in AA, considering he's only had a month worth of games in low A before this. But they're still prospects, and they both can play third base or move around. If you can get semi and on a good deal, you do it. I don't think you care about the prospects in your system if you can get a good major league player. But Plus, I mean, obviously, Orelvis Martinez has it sewn up, so I don't know what we're worried about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just kept going, even after I was talking about him on last week's podcast. <laughs> he really needs to be promoted. But, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a chance. I, I don't know what his ask will be. It's going to be tough being in this market. There's a lot of good shortstops on the market. So it's possible he could come at a rate that makes more sense to the Blue Jays than paying up for a Carlos Correa or something like that. 
Um, I, I think, interestingly enough, the, his willingness to play second base, even for this year, is kind of an interesting wrinkle. I know it, shortstop is the premium position, but um, the fact that he did that to, to bolster his value, I'm curious if he has learned to like it over there. Uh, Aaron Pulaski, uh, also an early asker, uh, with the Blue Jays finally coming home, rejoice! Who is the best Blue Jay to never play a home game at the Rogers Center? Joe Panic, Jonathan VR, and then in brackets, please let it be someone else. <laughs> yeah, it's Taiwan Walker. <laughs> I mean, you can see what he's doing this year, but and he was great for the Jays last year. It, you know, I, unless there's some random player that played for one game and got injured who was a superstar back in like the early 80s or something. Or no, there was no Rogers Center then. But you know what I mean? Is but, I yeah. have I have a different candidate. Okay. Mike Napoli. He was never on the team. That is, <laughs> but you can't. It's got to be someone who actually played a game no, he, for the team. Says he never played a home game in the Rogers Center. That's my only stipulation right there in black and white. Yeah, I, I, I argue he was never a Blue Jay. He was never on the active roster. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, you and I can have a discussion. Well, I like your, like your out of the box thinking there, though. <laughs> Jarrett S at Jrod19S. Expendable is a harsh word, but who is the everyday position player most likely or able to be traded in order to improve the pitching? Um, I, I don't know if you can just trade someone for pitching. I think there has to be other moves made. The offense does need help as well. But it's Biggio and one of the corner outfielders. I, it doesn't matter which one. Because Biggio, I, they, they can replace him with Espinal and it'd be okay, but you want to get a better third baseman regardless. And he doesn't really fit anywhere else on this roster. And then same thing with, if you trade Guriel or Grichuk, well, I mean, Grichuk doesn't have a lot of trade value, but if you trade one of them, you still have outfielders on the roster and you can augment. Makes sense to me. That's pretty much what I was going to opine. Uh, L at Ellie, Ellie Hart. And I generally love your questions, L. Uh, but this one, man, give me your hottest, most irresponsible and wildly inaccurate trade deadline predictions. I want names. Okay, go for it. Uh, wow. Shohei Otane <laughs> uh, and Mike Trout uh, to the New York Yankees because some for some reason they the people feel bad for the New York Yankees and keep trading them good players. So if you wanted to sound like a Yankees fan, you'd say for Miguel Andujar and Clint Frazier. That, that, <laughs> even, that would be your trade. Even um, Steven. <laughs> so you want the most outlandish, ridiculous trade proposals that's, that are involved with people who might actually get traded? Just go read MLB.com's unlikely MLB trade ideas. It's called Five Big Trade Ideas That Won't Happen in parentheses but should. And they're terrible trades. <laughs> The, the, the blue there's one actually for the blue jays it's it was the blue jays get jose ramirez emmanuel classe and brian shaw for lourdes guriel austin martin and eric pardino that might get you jose ramirez well, i it could but it, it would be a tough sell for cleveland just for <laughs> ramirez let alone the other two guys so we'll go with that actually no, i'll go with the rockies cardinals one it's the rockies give get matthew liberator and lucan baker for Trevor Story and Herman Marquez. If they make that trade, the Rockies should be contracted. <laughs> <laughs> it has to why it won't happen, and it has these silly reasons. It should be because this offer is laughably bad. <laughs> this is uh, right in the... But tell us how you really feel of Josh's wheelhouse. 
It was really bad. <laughs> I can't believe that this got printed. Uh. I, I think it's they should get done because that's you know just arbitrarily what the writer of the article would like to see happen, not not because any of the team's interests that should do these things. Uh, Luke with Jays tickets uh, ask at split letters ask what move will the Jays make with and congratulations Luke what move will the Jays make within twelve hours of you us finishing recording all the moves. Um, you know what? I'm going to follow Before I answer that, I'm going to get to the next question. Brian Donnelly, who also asked last week, now asks, you want Gallo. I want Gallo. Who do you think it takes to get, get him? What if they want an arm too? Uh, Allard Gibson or Dunning, for example. At what point is the price too high? So my argue, uh, my statement is that within 12 hours of recording, the Blue Jays get Joey Gallo. See, by saying that, now it can't happen because you've predicted it and therefore a podcast would not be at a date. Um, I'm so sorry. For the first off, it's going to be Kyle Seager. Like randomly, the Blue Jays will trade for Kyle Seager, <laughs> the third baseman from the Mariners. Not uh, Corey because, Seager. The no, no, <laughs> Kyle. Kyle. Um, okay. As for Gallo, it's hard to say what the Mariners or the Rangers really would want. The Jays. Here's the thing: like, if Joey Gallo gets traded, I don't think they're going to trade Allard or Dunning. Dunning was who they got for Lance Lynn. Gibson, I don't really want him, but. Say they got Gallo and Kennedy. The Jays have the pieces to make any deal. It's just what's too high? I don't know. It's like, is it two of your top prospects? Is it Austin Martin? I, it, but it's, I, I don't really think there's too high a price that the Jays would ever pay for a guy like that. I think if they get him, it's going to be a deal that we'd be okay with. It's a, that, that's a, nice that they're they're going to check in with us to see if we were okay with it. Um, we'll skip over Ewan's request because we already covered that. Matt at Thomas Matt C. Uh, give me your DFA guys when the three new players. This is your department, Josh. When the three new players brought over in deals need to be added to the forty man. Yes, the three players. We're getting three. Just so you know, uh, Chatwood. Chatwood does not count. So actually, just name two because he is automatic. Like walking, like he walks batters automatically. Yeah. Oh, oh my hey. God. So there, there was an update given by <laughs> Caitlin McGrath of Chatwood's performance in his rehab assignment in the minors. Six walks and six hits in three and a third innings. Try to make me go to rehab, but I said no. <laughs> <laughs> so who are the guys? Well, I think that they would trade off of their 40 men. I could see a guy like Otto Lopez getting traded. Uh, could definitely see I mean he definitely seems like a guy if they're training one of their their middle infielders because he's a little lower down in the pecking order same with one of the catchers Riley Adams but if they're literally not trading off of the 40 man I think it's Kirby Sneed who they just added and ooh, maybe Anthony Castro I think those would be the, the two guys or Anthony Castro things were going so well at the beginning of the year because they already just cut Jacob Barnes thank god <laughs> Praise the Lord above. Jacob Barnes is no longer a blue. Um, Kevin at Kevin Chase Four with the Scooby Doo avatar. Uh, the Jays are able to beat bad teams consistently, even when they are behind in the score late. Then the roles reverse when they play a team above five hundred. What is the biggest factor keeping the Jays from beating good teams? Are the Jays bad, mediocre, or good? Wow, there's two two 
two questions there. So I think you addressed the biggest factor keeping the Jays from beating good teams, which is the good teams have bullpens with guys who throw about 100 miles an hour and have wipe out uh, breaking stuff. And the bad teams don't. Yeah, it's easy to score against bad teams because they have worse pitchers. That's kind of <laughs> pretty straightforward. And um, I will contend, and I have contended for a long time, that great hitters don't hit great pitches. That's not how it works. Great no. hitters hit bad pitches because they know what bad pitches are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like if you've got a guy who's just dominant, there's a reason that these pitchers, some of them just have stupid numbers, like Devin Williams last year with the that changeup he was throwing you couldn't hit it there's nothing you could do with it i don't care who you were you could have been ted williams in his prime and you weren't hitting that but yeah so the, these bad teams have worse hitters and worse pitchers so the jays are able to come back better i do think they should be able to come back a bit more against some of these teams because they still do have some guys who can hit good pitching um i think the jays are on the good side of mediocre i i think the talent wise they're a good team it just hasn't worked and, and I, I think that, you know, there, there's an argument always about, well, is, you know, does a great hitting team beat a, beat a great pitching team? Does a team with great defense cover for, you know, suspect hitting, you know, depending on, you know, who's, who's gotten to the final, uh, you know, World Series uh, in each year, you can kind of look and say, was, what was the matchup like? But I think that there, there's something to be said for a balanced team, but I think there's something to be said for a team with one area, i.e. the bullpen, that for... And again, it's not as bad as it was, but for a good chunk of the season was so, so bad that you, you can't out offense your way out of a lousy bullpen situation every single night. You can't out starting pitch your way out of, out of one really, really bad element to your team. No, and and it shouldn't be this bad. Like Simber Strickland and Mesa have been quite good. And Dolis has actually been great since he came back. But there's just always one guy who just can't get it done every game. One guy has a bad game. Ugh. Anyway. Good thing you're not it. frustrated, Josh. That's awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's fair. Uh, we shall move on to the part where we, uh, unlike the Blue Jays bullpen, who can't do anything over, we give someone an opportunity to do something over. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... Yeah, MLB Network had a segment um, set up by Belly Ripken, who I'm, I'm just going to say probably should not set up any kind of analysis uh, with video. And, uh, and had Ron Darling along for the ride, where they attempted... I believe they were attempting to demonstrate how hard... It was to be a hitter uh, in the old no. days. No. How, how hard pitchers threw in the olden days? They and were it's... basically trying to check if pitchers actually are throwing harder now than they used to. It's interesting. I thought we had like a like a radar system and a, you know, a tracking thing that would tell us that information. Yeah. So I promise we're not going to be Buck and Tabler and tell you to look at this thing as we're doing an <laughs> audio only show. But, uh... But go watch the video if you get the chance, because it's well, no, actually don't, because it's horrible. But <laughs> we'll we'll explain what happened. Uh, so, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. They they went through a lot of work to sync up video of an old pitcher uh, and a new pitcher um, who had, in a lot of cases, similar uh, motions, 
uh, and and they knew that the speed of the pitch that was being thrown, and then they attempted to demonstrate that the old pitcher was throwing harder than the new pitcher. Yeah, so what would have actually been an interesting discussion point would be, do, do we look at old velocities correctly? Because some of the ones they're talking about before TrackMan and StatCast and all that, they're stadium guns, right? They're, they were hot, they were cold. It's, you never knew exactly. It's just whatever radar gun was on at the time. That would have been a semi-interesting conversation if overly useless. <laughs> it doesn't really tell us anything. But they tried to do this thing where they would sync release point and then see which ball hit the glove faster. It's like, was that actually faster? Except they weren't synced at release point. <laughs> they were synced They were synced at, at load. Yeah. No mention of, like, one of them was Randy Johnson compared to, I think, Garrett Cole. Randy Johnson's stride length was a little farther <laughs> than Garrett Cole's. It, but, yeah, they just it wasn't synced. They didn't mention any of the other factors. And it basically, so everyone was dunking on it. It's like, just look at the data. It's not hard. It, it, we, not. we have We have over six years worth of um, reliable, well, I don't know when Pitch FX started. Um, uh, 2008 2008 so we we have this 13 years of reliable baseline data from systems that were calibrated the same way even though they you know they've changed systems we don't believe we've changed any any velocities you can see exactly what a specific pitcher did over that period of time and what the average pitcher was doing over that time you don't need to try and sync up any videos which they failed miserably at and i feel I feel bad. They they gave the name of the woman who was told to sync up the videos, and I'm I'm sure she was told to sync them up a certain way, and that's what she did. <laughs> yeah, don't... which is just not what they should have been doing. I yeah. totally blame Billy Ripkin or whoever producer decided to do this segment. But so I just don't understand the point. I mean, if you want to say that the hardest throwing pitchers from the early '90s and or the late '90s are throwing as hard as the hardest throwing pitchers now. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, Nolan Ryan threw as hard as anybody he pitched in the 70s. The issue is that way more people are throwing hard now than used to, whereas they had to, they used to have to have an Aroldis Chapman filter on the velocity site on MLB.com. Now they don't. Yeah, and also the way pitchers are used is those hard-throwing pitchers are always there all game long. You can find a guy who throws 98 miles an hour in the 7th, uh, and you can find a guy who throws 98 miles an hour in the ninth. And now, from what I remember, again, this is anecdotal, but I remember a middle reliever who threw 95 miles an hour, like uh, um, Jason Fraser, was was hard to come by and, and a big asset because he threw pretty hard for a guy who you weren't going to use to close out the game. That's just not the case anymore. Every time I turn around, somebody is throwing 98 miles an hour with with one vicious breaking pitch. Well, I remember reading one of the BP Blue Jays top tens. This is back when we were still writing there. And it listed on the next 10. It was Jordan Romano. It's like, he's another 95 and a slider guy. Just like casual. <laughs> what? <laughs> but anyway, I just don't understand the point of the segment. If it's to say that the hardest guy is still through hard, then yeah, no, no, no kidding. Right. Or if it's to say that radar guns were poorly calibrated, that would be, like, like I said, it would be worth mentioning but again kind of pointless but what they were trying to do i just don't get the point of the segment at all i, I think they were trying to say it, baseball was just as good back in the day yeah it's kind of yeah and it's like well yeah of course it was just as good but it wasn't the same 
I don't know why. It's, he's just, it's Billy Ripken trying to excuse being a terrible hitter. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I feel like also if, if you watch Ron Darling's sort of body language, he's he's really interested in the footage. And he's trying to point out how uh, anything but the velocity <laughs> <laughs> if you watch the segment again, I don't think Darling's on board either because he was the guy throwing those pitches. Yeah. And I just, the biggest do over here, though, is for MLB network. This is the league's network. Talking like they're basically diminishing the modern game. Why would you do that? They, they, these guys seem like their raison d'etre should be to pump up the game and make it exciting and interesting for people and make them want to watch. And they're just constantly complaining about the modern game. It's yeah. not good for your ratings. <laughs> yeah. Like if you want people to watch, you got to watch what's happening now. Figure it out, Boyd. It's, it's your paycheck. Alas, that seems to be baseball's biggest problem is, is falling in love with wherever it is right now. And, and I admit it's tough to deal with change. I'm not going to say it's not, but the change has already happened. Time to time to just figure it out. Alrighty. So this is the part of the podcast where I ask you if you have a final thought. Yeah. Uh, so we were talking about the need for these bullpen additions, which, yeah, no kidding. One of them could be kind of soon. They finally figured out what was wrong with Nate Pearson. Oh, Turned out did. he had a sports hernia. Oh. No, it's actually good because now that they know <laughs> what it was and why it happened – they can work around it and they can treat it. And that's what just kept causing his groin problems because it wasn't actually just a groin issue. It was a hernia. So he's going to come back and he's going to, he's already throwing bullpens and then he's going to join the bullpen. He's not going back into the rotation so that they can get value out of him sooner. Cause if he had to work back up as a starter, he'd be down until September, but this way they can really use, you know, we saw what he can be out of the bullpen against the Tampa in the playoffs last year in Baltimore in the game right before. I mean, just have, have come out throwing a hundred out of the bullpen for two innings. And that would be really, really valuable. Absolutely. Uh, my final thought is completely unrelated to the blue Jays as I tend to do, but the Cleveland baseball club is going to be the guardians. And that is way overdue and super cool. So that we can now refer to the Cleveland baseball team comfortably as the actual Cleveland baseball team nickname. Um, yep. I hope, I hope that is a precedent that is set by the other, um, unfortunately named, uh, for the other unfortunately named teams in various other sports. And, uh, and we can move forward with, you know, a name that doesn't hurt anybody. Seems pretty simple to me. So that is to say that, uh, you, we're Joshua Hauseman at uh, Joshua Hauseman. And I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 20 Head. 20 Head. 2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 214. And we will talk at you next week after the trade deadline has made us look like absolute fools. The Boys from Biloxi is John Grisham's latest number one New York Times bestseller. In this epic novel of fathers and sons, loyalty and revenge, Grisham's unforgettable characters fight the good fight. The Boys from Biloxi is in stores now from Doubleday.